Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation, Education, and Hunter Advocacy. Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable. Trigicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions. Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter Handgun. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, Double Nickel Taxidermy. Now here's your host, Larry Wysu. Before joining Larry with today's episode, let's get a few words from Hayden Outdoors, the brand that sells land through our conservation today. One of the necessities that's often forgotten when it comes to wildlife, or even cattle, is the necessity of water. Water is, <laughs> is imperative when it comes to anything having to do with life, but as far as water is concerned, there's all kinds of sources. You can have water troughs, windmills, you can have huge, what we used to call pilas that gravity flow to a water trough somewhere else, but you can have some kind of a natural water source. Wildlife seems to do better there than they do anyplace else. So if you got an opportunity to maybe cause a, a little bit of a, a creek to maybe dig a little bit deeper, kind of what we've done right here on my little place is to make sure that there's water. Now, as far as distribution of that water, we're fortunate where I live, but in a lot of other places, I make sure that there is water source available, readily available to wildlife, particularly if livestock's involved, for every mile. I don't want that animal to travel any farther than a mile. So if, he's, if they're a mile apart, that means it's a half mile travel. Now on with today's episode. David Fox, thank you for that introduction. 
And I'll tell you what, folks, we're at the Buck and Bass Ranch, and thankfully, this is a absolutely beautiful property, with very wildlife-oriented. And Brandon Houston, thank you for the Conservation Today segment. Information that we present through Hayden Outdoors there is just phenomenal. Thank you for doing so. Sitting around, as I mentioned, we're at the Buck and Bass Ranch this morning, and I'm here with uh, two very dear friends and a, and a third dear friend that I'm going to have Mr. Luke Clayton, who's here with us. Of course, Jeff Rice, who he and his family own the uh, Buck and Bass Ranch. But Luke, introduce our third guest here this morning. You bet. Well, my neighbor, Mr. Kenneth Shepard, right down the road, right down the slough from me. Kenneth and I have been buddies for a number of years. A number of years. We've had lots of fun together, hunted up in Colorado and elk and bear, did a little guiding together. Yes, and sir. Done some deer hunting together. Deer hunting together. And uh, yeah, oh, we've had man. a great time. And Kenneth, you've, uh, well, this is your first time to come down here and join us out, but uh, we've hunted with you a bunch and pretty neat place, isn't it? Very nice place. I knew, as soon as I pulled in the gate, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is this is a really special place. Yeah, it's it's a special spot. And we've, we've managed to uh, survive to, to eat okay. We've had some fajitas and, and, and goulash, of all things, with some cornbread last night. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're surviving uh, yeah. out here in the wilderness. We're roughing it. <laughs> Jeff, is, Jeff, is this one of the reasons you let us come down here so that we can prepare Absolutely. food? Absolutely. Or let Luke prepare food. I was say, Luke always yeah. brings the food. We Luke, always Luke. know it's going to be stellar food. And you and I generally are the ones who get to eat it. That's right. Well, you boys, you boys will. And of course, Kenneth, enjoy this right, now. Uh, you boys will never, ever know the sacrifice that old Luke made because... <laughs> I, you know, we had some cobbler. Now, don't think I would sell you short. I picked dewberries. And it took me a week to pick enough dewberries to to make a, a berry cobbler. So we, I didn't shirk on the on the dessert. No, nope. we had that <laughs> cornbread and goulash. My, my wife was saying, Luca, goulash. What are you? That, is that what y'all eat at camp? I said, these guys with cornbread will wear this goulash out. And uh, we I, did. I noticed in the, in the refrigerator there, there was not a whole lot of it left. No. <laughs> no, there really wasn't. And you know what? I forgot about the uh, the cobbler because I would have dove into that cobbler this morning. So I, I think before I have to leave to head back south of here, I may, I may have to partake a little bit of that. Well, I know your patterns, Larry, and I, I kind of expected it to be hit this morning. Well, <laughs> if I'd have thought about it, there wouldn't have been any left. <laughs> I know it. That's, that's, you know, that's part of what an outdoor outing is all about, though. I mean, oh, could we eat, we could eat Spam or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and be just as happy, but I don't know. It's something cool about cooking and having some good camp food. You I, know? I got a qu Why did you mention Spam and peanut butter? Uh, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or Spam sandwiches. Or peanut butter and spam sandwiches. Have that, you ever had those? Uh, I would try it. No, I never had it. You, you need to try. Have it. you? I have. I have. <laughs> the, the mutual friend of ours, Rick Lambert, introduced me yeah, to that several Rick. years ago. We were having ribeye steaks on a place down south, and the first thing he asked for, we knew we had ribeyes that night. He said, "Y'all got any spam and peanut butter, by the way?" <laughs> really? <laughs> serious. And so yeah, yeah. I tried. And so we had we as an hors d'oeuvre, if you will or an appetizer, we had, each had a little bit of a Spam and peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> wow. I would have never, never put those no, two together. I would, Me either. I would have never you either. Know, a, a little side note on Spam that might be interesting. Many, many people probably know it. 
But we went on vacation to Hawaii last summer, and Spam in Hawaii is like a delicacy. I don't know why it is, but all those people over there, you know, the stores, they sell out of Spam. Really? It's, it's a big deal over there. Spam is. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I remember, you know, we were in the chicken business, hog business, cattle business, and we had meat three to five, seven times a day. But every once in a while, we would buy, my mom would buy Spam, and generally she'd cut it in little thin strips, not strips, but slices, yeah. and fry it in, in bacon grease, and God, that was good. I yeah. love Spam. <laughs> I do. And, uh, of course, I was from East Texas, and uh, Vienna sausage? Yes. Well, we didn't call them Viennas when uh, we were kids. I eat them regularly. Viennese. They called them. That was the old country name. Viennese. Yeah, Viennese sausage. You remember sausage. that, Larry? Oh, Viennese yeah. sausage. And I, I had a can here last week with some crackers there. <laughs> They're good. Still you know? just as good as they were. Tasty. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure about 48% sodium, but they're dang good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, Kenneth, I'm so glad that you're here. And I, I I had the opportunity to spend the night at Kenneth's not too very long ago. Thank you so very much for allowing me to do so. I've got a little trailer there on the place. And, and uh, gosh, I'm sitting out there at night. Everything's shut down. It was out of this world, listening to the owls off in the distance and the coyotes off in the distance. You hear an old hog grunt over somewhere, you know, and it, that was so very fantastic. But thank you for allowing me to You're do that. Welcome. I had an absolute blast. But, you know, as most folks know, they're listening to this. We do a little TV show called A Sportsman's Life that actually Jeff and Luke started quite some time ago. And, and we had an opportunity prior to you coming down, Jeff, of being down there with you and filmed a show on trying to call a coyote. And uh, actually, we were able to get that coyote to come in, and you shot him with a three seventy five Winchester with a uh, Marlin rifle? Marlin rifle, yes, sir. And That's open sight, long way out there. And uh, that, that was an interesting uh, coyote hunt because so very often those coyotes come charging in. And this one just kind of came in. I saw him from a distance, and he'd lollygag around, and then he'd lay down, and, and I was using just a mouth-blown call at the time. And, and finally, I thought, well, I just started squeaking on my fingers. And that's when he came in. So, And you ended up shooting him at about 100 and almost 200 yards. I wouldn't have got him that close had you not have been doing that squeaking. Well, it, and, and that the, was the I trick. couldn't figure out what the deal was because the, the cows generally come in, you know, and so I was visiting. And, but one of the things we noticed to back up a little bit, this coyote looked like he'd been in a fight with another coyote and was chewed on his leg and all that kind of thing. And so I called Gary Robertson with the uh, uh, Burn Brothers game call, and I said, Gary, tell me what was going on. And he said, well, that was not the dominant coyote. We're right there at the time of the breeding season. Yeah. And he said, what the deal is, he said, that coyote was, thought he was the top dog, but he wasn't. And he said, there's another male coyote in there that's kind of the, the what, the alpha male, I top guess. Top dog, huh? The top dog. And he yeah. said, yeah. that's what they'll do. They'll come in and they'll lay down. And that's that their other coyote's there. It's a sign of submissiveness. So found that to be really interesting, but when I started squeaking, you know, finally he came in. And the interesting thing is that that was a big coyote. So you're telling me there's a bigger coyote. Or a meaner coyote. Yeah, could be meaner. But, but you're right. That coyote, <laughs> most coyotes, they'll weigh 30, 35 pounds. is a pretty good-sized coyote. And that coyote, Luke, you picked up a lot of 50-pound mm -hmm. sacks. I picked up a lot of 50-pound sacks. That coyote was in that 50-pound. He was approaching 50 to, that, wasn't he? he? Was, I would say he was somewhere at minimally... 
you know, 45, 47. Yes. Yep. He felt a whole lot more like he was a, a, a 50 he, he plus was, pound He cow. did. He did. Well, that, you know, you and I, Larry, I've, our, our environment calling together has been a lot of time recorded calls. Right. But I was sitting there, uh, uh, actually there with, with Kenneth, you know. Right. And uh, the, you, that closed the deal, that squeaking. Yeah. yeah. Because that cow, he'd already, he thought, well, okay, there's a rabbit, there's food, whatever. And then that squeaking that you did, I, I you know, he instantly mm -hmm. parked up. Oh, yeah. I saw those ears, you know, pointed up. And that brought, that's what did it. Yeah, I mean, the change. The, that closed yeah. the deal. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah I don't think that. yards probably, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, yeah. he came in a long yeah. ways yeah. from with the squeaking. I don't think he'd have done that. Uh, I don't think that well, I welcome people to go to the Sportsman's Life and watch that show because I wasn't there, but I tell you what, the video, I mean, it tells a story, and you're right, Larry's squeaking certainly brought it in, but then you come full circle, the shot. Dude, you put a shot on that thing. I get lucky sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't luck, dude. That was a good, good shot. Well, thank you. Thank that, that was you. a, it good was a shot. fun shot. <laughs> it was a fun shot. Okay. I remember sitting there thinking, are they ever going to shoot? And I didn't realize what all was going on yeah, because yeah. you ended up having to move, drop tried. into the creek, yeah, and then come, come back come out. And I came up, and I had, and I was kind of thinking Luke might be able to get the shot. but I had that vegetation had in front of me where he actually came out. You know, there was a bunch of low-growing yeah. Were you using shooting sticks? No, sir. I went offhand. It was an offhand shot. Really? Wow. But we have to understand here, <laughs> Mr. Shepard is, I mean, you don't have to, I'm, I'm going to brag, is a shooter. Yeah. I don't care if it's a bow, if it's an air gun, if it's a pistol. That's, he's got a range at his house, and that's what he does is I, shoot. I enjoy shooting. Before this hunt, he's, he's before this hunt with a pistol, we, we were on a hog hunt, folks. Yeah, we're on a hog hunt. Kenneth, for the last five days, he he said, okay, i got to do some more work with this group. It was like a six to five, four-inch group or something. He, then the next day, he said, I've tightened it up. And then he sent me a picture the last day of bullets touching. So, <laughs> And that's it. You've got, you got, you got to know what. Be prepared, huh? Be prepared. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and shoot. That's the only way you can They know. almost deserve that. You know, they deserve they that. Deserve they deserve it. Absolutely. You're right. Good that point. that to me is called respect. Yeah. Of being able want to put that ammo down as quickly and humanely as possible. Right. Yeah. And by golly, you, with, you did that. I know I shoot a Taurus a lot, and Luke, you're shooting Taurus, but <clears throat> years ago, I, I, I shot Freedom Arms every once in a while, and they're produced there in, in Wyoming, and they are like a custom, the finest custom rifle, the finest custom pistol as far as I'm concerned is, is pretty much along that line of, of Freedom Arms. What were you shooting at? Um, yesterday, I was shooting at 454 Freedom Arms. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the premier grade. Which is just a really nice pistol. Oh, man. Yeah, Beautiful. It's a, it's, it's a nice They're pistol. so smooth. The triggers are absolutely... Yeah. Like, <clears throat> and, and it will do one-inch groups at, at 100 yards. Yes, You sir. can do it. Yes, So sir. it's really kind of up to you as to how far you want to push that gun to be able to make that. Exactly. Kind of and it's still delivering enough downrange energy at 100 yards to to really do good yeah. as far as, as a big... I had one years ago when I was on staff with uh, Shooting Times and Handgun Magazine, and I carried mine to uh, to, to Alaska and shot my first Alaskan brown bear with, with oh, one really? with a four fifty four. So with one that looked almost exactly like the one that wow. you have. Okay. And I uh, used it on a bunch of other things as well, too. Right. But, yeah, it, it, it was about 100 yards, and I hit that bear. It was a steep angle up. Hit that bear, that bear right through the shoulder. It did the complete 180. It turned it and ended up on all four feet again. 
and I shot it two or three more times after that, but it and then it, it didn't go anywhere. But, well, sure, that's but, awesome. I would love to see that. But that 454, well, I was, we didn't have a camera on that one, thankfully. That was that particular hunt was one of the of all the hunts I've done worldwide. That was one of the most grueling, strenuous hunts there was. We'll we'll talk about it some other time. Uh, but the handgun hunting is so much fun. And yes. look, you've gotten into it a little bit more now with yeah. the. Well, you, you were the reason the, the old TC contender back, I don't know how many years ago, oh, 25, 25, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. I, I watched this, that's when we, we you and I were just, uh, we, we were friends, but we, we never really had spent a lot of time right. together back then, you know, and uh, watch this, watch you shooting, I, I ordered a 730 water single shot, mm-hmm. and, and I put a, put one of those uh, uh, Simmons, I think it was, mm-hmm. folks on there, mm-hmm. And and I shot <clears throat> I shot one hog with it, and that they would take me five hours to tell. That's that's when the alligator oh, the alligator fell, yeah, hog we'll fell in the water, <laughs> and there's in a pond with three three big alligators in it, and and right there where I shot him was a sloping rock, and he shot I shot him with that seven thirty waters of 80, 82 yards. I had him right, and, and he kicked and fell in the water, and previously that day the ranch owner and I had put a bunch of trimmings from some exotic animals right from the insides in that water them gators come up there and won't they ate it i'm standing there in the summertime <laughs> in august on that flat rock and i see the hog the bubbles he's only four feet out in that water the bubbles coming and back in those days well i'll just go ahead and tell the story back in those days i was all about meat i mean i wanted some pork i said what am i going to do looking at those bubbles come up larry I stripped off. I was in the middle of nowhere no, up in Jack not. County. I you... dang sure did. Oh, look. I had to have I had to have that hog. I was so proud, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. The hog was only I, I sure I know we no wakes coming through the water. Uh, they don't necessarily make waves. Don't, don't tell me that now. <laughs> but no no movement, no ripples on the slack in the summer, a hot. And I I do remember this. I'm in there with barefooted, you know, and I I sliding my feet along the bottom. I knew where the hog was. The first thing that foot contacted was his tusk. Uh, oh, my I, goodness. I said, oh, my. <laughs> I, I remember just reaching down, <laughs> grabbed him, come, come out of there. Never did see the alligators. Anyway, I didn't mean to take, steal so much of our that time. Awesome. No, no, Larry's heard this that, a few That's times. what this is all about, is the story. That happened, and you will never, ever, things like that in the outdoors, you won't forget it. No. And, you know, there's always something happens that just makes it special. It doesn't matter. You know, if it's just in the backyard, there's something that you, if something special is going to happen. It's going to happen. I think I'd have left that one, though. I don't, I don't know. know. I think I don't I'd have left. you would have had you been caught up in the moment. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, not. I don't know you well enough. You'd, you'd have been fishing for that thing. Oh, he'd, he'd grown up like I did watching all those Tarzan movies, and I'm, I'm tough, I'm strong. I can, if that crocodile gator comes up here, I'll teach him a little lesson. But I've, I've, I've second thought that many times. I really have. Did you tell Lisa that story? Because I have a feeling she. I don't know if I told probably Luke, did. I, I don't know. She's not much on. Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Be, uh, some things you need to know about. Uh, some things. Some things. Just... Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm convinced my wife 
think she married an idiot. I don't need to prove it. Kind of on this kind of story. <laughs> My wife is, I never have got this, but she's often referred to me as animalistic. And I animalistic. Said, I said, what do you mean by animalistic? You know, what are you actually referring to here now? I might need to change some things. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, <laughs> that, I've never heard you tell that story, Luke. And well, that happens. Boy, it just keeps coming. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I'm there. Yep. <laughs> went in the water, stripped down, went in the water. Had to. Mm. That would be a sight to see, right? Yeah, just just that in itself. I made yeah. sure that nothing but another wild hog. There's nobody around. Look, I'm in Jack County. Actually, I was on, you know where it's at, Squaw Mountain. Ranch. I thought that was Squaw Mountain. And I was there by about. myself. Uh, Ed Modelay was the owner back in those days. That was nothing but think you were there by yourself. Now, what if a gator would have grabbed a hold of you? What would you have done? I, I Had you know. thought that far along? Uh, no. Did you have a pocket? No. Well, you were stripped down here anyway. No. You didn't have a pocket. No, no, no. There was no pocket. <laughs> there was no pocket. <laughs> yeah, that was just, uh, you know, well, I guarantee you, if y'all look back, you probably... <laughs> One thing I will bring up with, with Mr. Wysoon here that I won't ever forget, we were recording, you were up on the Alaskan coast hunting... Uh, was it blacktail deer? Yeah, I, it was I Sitka blacktail. Sitka, Sitka yeah. blacktail. Well, and it was a slopes, icy slopes, and y'all went by boat, and you, you and... It was, it was Tim Fallon and I, and we were hunting, we were, it was a do-it-yourself hunt. We were there with with uh, Keegan McCarthy, but the way the hunt was set up, he, he could only take us in his from his boat, which was our camp, to the land, and then all the rest of it was up to us. And he dropped us up on... it on either side of a long bay about a three mile long bay kind of thing and he says come dark i'll come pick you up guys up at the back end of that bay mm -hmm. so long story kind of short we i started down my way and i, I passed up several bucks killed nice first one i ever shot shot him with a uh then with one of the first things that was shot with a ruger american rifle and, and i kept on i was going to meet fallon at the back end of that thing so i'm walking along and the tides out and there's this huge bluff that I walked underneath and uh, just about, no, maybe eight or 10 feet of rocks where you dropped off in the water. And I got back in there and I noticed as I'm walking, this bay is filling up with ice. I'm talking big ice. So we get back to the far end and Colin and I can't meet because there's a creek coming in there that's about 30 feet deep before it hits the water, straight walls. And, so I remembered, I hollered at Fallon, I said, man, I said, I got to get back, you know, I, I, and he, he started his way, and I said, I've got a spot, if I don't get there in time, so I took off running, literally, and well, by the time I got back, that tide rises so quickly that that pathway underneath this bluff was now icy water, and ice and water. So I tried to crawl up over on top of it, and I get up on the top of it, and it's just deep cuts in the, in that rock, and I step in one spot, I'm feeling long stepping, I step in one spot and I fall down about 30, 40 feet in between the rocks down there and yeah. uh, trying to figure out and I'd start trying to figure out how to crawl out and then just couldn't couldn't do it. But I had my had that rifle and I had a set of shooting sticks. So I just kind of held the rifle and shooting sticks and I'd jab them in on one side, push up and finally after about 30 minutes crawled out of the top. That's the story I was thinking. And you know, the whole time I said, well, I'm either going to die here or I'm going to spend the night here, you know, and build me a snow cave or whatever. And finally get up on top. And I get up on top. 
now I'm looking down at the other side, and it's pretty much a straight bluff, straight down about 100, 120 feet kind of thing. And uh, so I look around, look around, and I finally find a spot where there's about a about a 70-degree slope, icy slope going down. I thought, well, I ain't got but one choice to do. I can't go farther inland and come around because the snow was way too deep there. So I sat down on the edge, said a bunch of prayers, and I looked down there, looked down there, and there was about six feet of, of rock before you pitched off in the water. So I, I sat on the edge, grabbed that rifle and and the shooting sticks, and I used that buttstock as a as a rudder, and went <laughs> that quick down to the bottom. And thankfully, there was just it it, it it wasn't like a ski slope, but it was very steep angle. And I hit it hard, hit the rocks really hard, jarred the heck out of myself. But I kept from pitching forward into the dead gum, uh, into the water and ice and kind of thing. And then ended up walking the rest of the way. And finally, at about oh three or four hours later, they I walked far enough to where they could get a little boat in there to get me out of there for the evening kind of thing. Wow. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was during that time frame. Yeah, when, and then the, when we, the, you made it home the next week, then we recorded the yeah. radio show, and you were telling about that. Yeah. that. That's been several years back. That's been several years back. Yeah, yeah that was one of the many trips. I'll, I'll tell a story. I can tell Fallon and Larry stories where we darn near died numerous times on yeah. hunts. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first one. And then there were hunts in Asia and Africa and things like that that got into pretty hairy, sticky situations kind of thing. But uh, I remember one. You know, keeping I, calm and keeping your head is why you're still here. Uh, it, you have to. Yeah. You, you have to. You can't panic because if you panic, then you get into really, really serious trouble and... and uh, so you but, had to sacrifice that rifle after Well, something. no, the rifle, I, I can attest to the fact I'd ride the, we were just releasing the Ruger American rifle, and so I called Mike Pfeiffer, who then the president of uh, Ruger, and he goes, how's your hunt? How's your hunt? So I, I told him, I said, well, I found all kinds of uses for that damn American rifle. I bet <laughs> no one, none of those engineers ever thought about using it for. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they didn't. Wow. <laughs> That is awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> that, that was, that was, that, I mean, that was, that was the front part of that hunt. There's, there's other parts of that hunt that almost to that point. As one well, of the but, hunts, that might have been the same one, Larry, when, you, when you're on this really nice boat. Oh, yeah. And then uh, you were talking about the crabs. Y'all would set the crab oh, trap God, and yeah. eat. And I, I think the, there was a, a chef on there. Oh, yeah. The, Keegan has a, it's a big. Is that the has, same hunt or different? That hunt? that was a different hunt. And, man, I but, mean, I remember you telling about that, eating, eating seafood up yeah. there fresh out of the. I hunted up there, bear hunted with them up there as well, too, for black bear. And uh, close to Admiralty Island. And you buy Make sure you buy a hunting license, of course, because we're hunting bear, but also a fishing license. And with that, you could put out like two crab pots and two shrimp pots. And so every day we would, we had a fresh Dungeness crab like you can't believe. Oh, and, mm. and not really shrimp, but prawn. And, and They're bigger, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They're, they're like a small like lobster. A lobster. Yeah, yeah, like like about a, those tails are probably about a pound and a half Ooh, lobster man. tail. And every bit is absolutely delicious. It's pretty plentiful. I mean, it's pretty oh, yeah. easy to catch. Yeah. No, no, you, you put out, the, that water is well over 100 feet deep there where you fish for them. And, and uh, you'd have to pull them up. And, I mean, those daggum crab pots and shrimp pots just be full. And oh. as you got them closer up to the, as long as they were at the bottom, they they came up pretty good. But when you got them a little bit closer up to the boat, then it was a totally different deal. You know, it got to be pretty heavy. But And the fishing there was fantastic. There, there was a... 
like a black sea bass that had a bag limit. I can't remember like four or five or whatever it was. And every time you drop a lure up down the bottom, you hook on one of those. And occasionally, you hook on to to a small halibut that uh, a couple halibut that were probably. No, that 12, 12, 12 15 <laughs> pounds, and, and interestingly, that chef on that particular hunt was from San Antonio, Texas. His mom and dad owned a, uh, a Mexican food restaurant there in, in San Antonio. Oh, oh boy! But and we didn't eat any Mexican food. We shared a lot of, a lot yeah, of other yeah. good stuff. I'll tell you. But that, to me, that's one of the beauties of, like spring bear hunting. Uh, I know we're here. We were talking about you guys are. Uh, Kenneth, you're going to join us on that one, I think. Oh, well, but sure you guys can. are going up in in July to uh, Saskatchewan, yeah. And but the beauty of, of those bear hunts in the springtime is, is you basically just hunt that last. Well, you hunt six eight hours because it it goes daylight. In daylight, but you know you hunt in the afternoon and you fish in the morning, and yep. the fishing there is fantastic as That's, well. Too. Sometime maybe uh, we can do a talk a little bit about the first trip to Canada yeah well people because I've got a lot of friends that uh, never been there I remember when I'd never been up there right and it's uh, it's just a it's a fishing is a paradise the bear black bear are most of those fishing camps have access to bear hunts yeah, that's one of those things when you go once, and vice versa yeah. yeah you go once you're you are hooked Canada so, is an amazing place it's I unreal mean, it those fly-in camps you know you're up yeah. there way away from any other humans when you're there and the fish don't i'm not don't don't say they've never seen a lure but i bet there's a lot of them that hadn't you know there is you know there is those big like the churchill river drainage it those lakes they look like they're uh still water but the water's moving through them at a slow rate all the time the churchill river in that particular instance it feeds a lot of those tributaries and they feed the lakes you know but yeah, it's an awesome, it's an awesome. Kelly's going to, we're going, we're planning a trip uh, next year too, uh, and I, I think you're going to experience uh, something that you're going to really like. I can't you know? wait to go see what this is all about. <laughs> and you know, the price is not that, not out, of, out of the It's way. like anything, yeah. Kenneth, you know, you can, uh, you can go to, now the place we're going to go uh, is Tazan Lake Lodge. Right. It's a full service thing with, uh, there's even chef there and guides and all that. Uh, and in other places, like where we, you know, there are other places where you just uh, do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, so, so normal, people, normal their, people can make this trip. It's that's not right. Like, it's not. Yeah. People ask me, what does it cost? I I know some some really good places up there. Yeah. Airfare, the whole deal for less than three thousand dollars. Exactly. Probably a good bit less if you. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah well, if you figure, I mean, I travel a lot here in the, in the kid country, and by the time you get a hotel room, eat two meals a day, and don't you know, and pay for fuel costs these days, you'll spend more per day on those kind of things than you do when you go on on, on hunting or fishing trip. Up there. Sure, I can see that a whole yeah. lot more. I can, so, you know, going snow skiing, that's a very you know, it's not it's not cheap to go no. snow skiing. No, 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 no. So you know what I mean? So you just got no. It's not. You just got to have your priorities and you know and and you can save a little money here and save a little money there. You know, if you if you have somebody pay for mowing your yard. Think about that, by golly. If you mow your own yard instead of paying somebody else to do it. Yeah, for one season. You, you, for one, you can save enough money to go do one heck of a dead gum trip and think of all the exercise that you get in the meantime. <laughs> so you're in better shape, you know? Yeah. Better shape. Better shape for reeling them big fish in. <laughs> yeah, those those fish up there are phenomenal. I've, I've been fortunate to not, I've never gone up there for a specific 
fishing trip. Uh -huh. But I've caught a lot of fish when we've been up there on hunts, particularly during the springtime, and uh, or even during the fall. I've caught lake trout up in what is now Nunavik, used to be Northwest Territories, and lake trout that were, you know, 20, every, not every cast, but darn near every cast year, catching one that was 20 to 30 pounds. Wow. And, that's, that's that's something to remember. Right those there. big and those I, I got hooked. The first thing I wanted to do when I first went there was the Darling of the North. That's an Arctic grayling. They call it Darling of the North. I wanted to catch an Arctic grayling, and I did. They like where we caught them. Larry was in the moving water. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you you'll find them in some of the the little lakes and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, yeah, they like that they faster like that fat, And, and yeah. I caught uh, the ones we were catching. You know there. Uh, oh, you know, a four pounder would have been a big one. You know, that is that's big. Uh -huh. That's big. Most big. of them would be like two pounds. Yeah, but they got the big fin on the top. They're beautiful fish. But I caught one, and then I got exposed to northern pike, and I got hooked. <laughs> I, mean, I got. I've I've been fortunate to catch like a a fifty one and a fifty two inch pike up there, different places. And, but you catch a lot up in Canada, Saskatchewan, where I've been. Yeah. You catch a lot of pike that are, oh, you know, 30. In the 30s, 36 yeah. 36 inches, a lot of them. Yeah. And, man, you throw one of those big old spoons up shallow and flip that thing around, let it flash around, you see that thing. But the biggest the biggest pike, the, the, my bigger pike, caught it on a walleye. Was not using the walleye for bait. Caught it, about a 15-inch walleye. You know, fishing with a spoon, smaller yeah. spoon. I looked up, and you can see the walleye in the clear water out there, you know, bringing him in. You right. Know. Well, this torpedo comes up and latches on. You can see him, and I have pictures. They don't turn loose either. Do uh, they? A friend of mine, Phil Zimmerman, was there with a camera, and he got a picture of when that thing come up with the thing sunk the teeth in. Yeah. And I just back my drag off and let him run. You know, then I just keep tension on him. And you know, just just enough right. to to hold him, and in three or four minutes, he never let go of that uh, walleye. Wow! He come up and we netted him, and he was that was the fifty-two inch. Yep. Not even hooked. Not and when he got in the yeah. boat, his teeth were still stuck in that. Yeah, uh, I understand. Teeth. They never once they grab a hold of something, they don't turn loose. I guess that that you know they don't. I, I mean, all the years I've fished in Canada, I've had that happen three or four times. And they don't. They don't let go. They'll when grab a hold. Boat. Oh yeah, they'll grab right a hold of that walleye, and they will not let go. And you pull them right up, right up next to the boat, and scoop them in. I just knew this big one because I could see how big he was. You know. Yeah. I just knew he was going to jump off. We got him. Pike is fun though. You get those big pike. You get up in that shallow water where you can see really good, and you throw a bucktail or a five of diamond spoon, and you're bringing that along, and you're seeing it come through the water and you see that flash and then you see like you said luke the torpedo here it comes wow. i mean that thing just comes incoming and man when they hit it's just incredible hit it like a freight train yeah yeah if you've never been to canada that is a place to fish at a shore oh. lunch i bet everybody oh, yeah. that hasn't been there has watched i i got i've started wanting to go to canada years ago watching don wallace Wallace Wildlife out of Oklahoma City. You remember Don? That, I do, yes, sir. He would go up there. He was a real quiet. I actually fished with him in Mexico one time. But Don Wallace, Wallace Wildlife. Mm -hmm. And a uh, real quiet guy, but you'd see them up there on the shore lunch. They'd fish. I said, my gosh, I, I know I'll never get up here. But then years later, I, I was able to go to Canada. And mm -hmm. like you say, Jeff, once you go, you figure out a way to get back up there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Y'all deal through, I, I, I do a fair amount of stuff in years past with the uh, GOABC, which is the British Columbia Guide and Outfitters Association, and that is a good place to start. But y'all deal there, as I have done some in the past, with uh, uh, Tourism Quebec, or Quebec Tourism. Uh, I'm well, sorry, uh, Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, but you can also, Quebec is another one of those yeah. tourism that we Alberta deal with. Alberta even has yeah. one. Uh, uh, Department of Tourism there, yeah. And, you know, they're all about uh, exposing what their wonderland to the rest of the world and, and the media. They they welcome media up there to, Absolutely that, to, but to get too, the word out. And that's, those that's, are also good sources for lodges yes. and different operations up there as well. Both the Guide and Outfitters Association or the tourism, whether you decide yeah. to go to Quebec. I did a lot of stuff with Quebec and Caribou Hunts years mm -hmm. ago with their tourism department. Yeah. And then same thing, a little bit with Saskatchewan, a little bit with Alberta, and same thing with the... Uh, uh, British Columbia as well too. Larry, one interesting thing that I that was totally new to me is uh, Brad Fenson, who's a well-known outdoor writer here, a friend of mutual friend of both of ours, right. Brad. Uh, but he's from uh, Edmonton, so we're, right. we're Brad. in Alberta, right? Yeah. So we, I spent a week up there five or six years ago. He was there at at the camp, <clears throat> and he says we're gonna. His wife is a, they, and Brad is an expert cook. He loves a loves to cook. Spruce buds. Uh, he said, "We're going to make some uh, uh, jelly out of the spruce tips when they're when they're first yeah, coming right. out in the spring. There'll be a little old bitty bud. Oh yeah, spruce yeah, tree. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. He says we're going to pick those, and, and well, I helped them pick. They picked four or five gallons of them, and uh, they make jelly out of that. I mean, who would have thought? Oh, darn. It's I like a here, those little yeah. buds, yeah. except they're spruce. Yeah, they." Yeah, they're, but they're, they're excellent, make a good jelly. I, I guess, well, here in Texas, they make them, don't they make them out of uh, uh, prickly pear? Oh, yeah, the tuna. Same principle. Yeah, yeah. I'll be darned. Yeah, huh. interesting side note, you know. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that, to me, that's one of the great things about traveling is that you get to try and learn about different kinds of foods and food combinations and food preparation and all those other kind of good things as well. I will give a, a tip. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of those trips originate in Saskatoon. Right. If you're ever in the Saskatoon Inn, there's a great restaurant bar downstairs. You've been there many times. All those trips, many of them, originate there. Order some bison stew. I, I tell it's you, good. I, I don't I've know. It there, Have yeah. you had oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, bison. It is the best stew. I don't yeah. know how they do it. Those are actually wood bison, as opposed to like the plains bison yeah. that live up there in the woods. And you can, there in Alberta, you can still hunt those. Hmm. Uh, they're. I can't remember whether I think there's a permit required now. But well, Brad like, Finson actually hunted them. Yeah, Brad hunted them. them. Yeah, and like that area that I hunt in Alberta for whitetails. Uh, Ron Nemechek and the, one of the, his chief guides is the guy that you go to if you want to go hunt. Are they, uh, are they large animals? Yeah. Like the oh, oh yeah, they're big. Uh -huh. They're they're every bit as big. Wow. But uh, but again, they they live very they live in the woods as opposed mm -hmm. to on the plains kind of yeah, thing. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Jeff, earlier before uh, we started all this, I, I I was admiring your cabin. And you go, you talked a little bit about junk. <laughs> yeah, there are and, lots and, of it around no, here. <laughs> and to me, these are absolute treasures. But 
I know that uh, having been to your home, and I know that you're wanting to rebuild out here here in the future, and, and we were talking about having a separate room that's fishing, a separate room that's hunting, and those kind of things. But you've been collecting all kinds of hunting and fishing gear and related things for a lot of years. I have. You know, it's it's funny. It, it really all started, I was 12 years old, I'll never forget, and my grandfather had a tackle box sitting there, and and uh, I was admiring all the lures in his little tackle box, and he's like, why don't you take that tackle box with you? And I'm like, really? So I brought this tackle box home, treasures. I mean, these to me are today still my treasures. He's long gone, but I can point every one out in my collection. I probably have, oh, I have thousands of lures. <laughs> I've been collecting them for, you know, for since I was 12, literally. I started all over the country. Not just, everywhere yeah. I go, you know, and I got to learn a little bit about lures and, you know, what's what's valuable, what's not. And, you know, not to say I have don't have lures that are not valuable. You know, some of them are not, you know, some 70s lures and stuff that maybe aren't easy to find but I don't know I just pick them up here and there and and then I started to pick up some old hunting things I was like man these are cool and my grandfather actually gave me some boxes of old shotgun shells Peter's remember Peter's the paper Absolutely. shell and a bunch of those they're like brand new boxes and with the shells still with in the them. shells still, still oh, in them. cool and you know I don't know, just pick things up along the way and and my my goal I guess in time will to be have have that one room that's all old fishing stuff and have have another room that's all you know old hunting trapping things you know and i just think they're cool yeah. i just you know, it brings back to you know the, the times when i was a young boy we used to trap you know right and i used to fish with grandpa's old lures and i have like my grandmother's her her fishing rod you know the old metal rod with the oh, yes. old shakespeare reel thing and you know i just over time i've collected a bunch of junk as I call it, it is not, not junk, junk treasures, it's, it's, treasures. It is treasures. It's fun stuff. It's just neat stuff to look back, you know, look at, and kind of takes you back in time, you know, some of the stuff. So I continue to collect and just have fun doing it. It's just you know, we need to do more of those kind of just devoted a, a periodic segment to the, the sportsman's life, where you go back and and explain a little bit about what you just did, you know, devote maybe one show to a series of lures or uh, a series of traps or whatever yeah. and where people not only can hear about them but they you can actually do a close-up on them and go sure. you know and it, it might inspire some other people to, to start collecting well, let's, that may be competition for you so <laughs> maybe I ought to not know it really I think it's something we ought to really consider doing I think it would be very well I accepted. I mean, I would. I, I did one. Yeah, I know you did one. Back. Yeah, and yeah, I, I I need to do more. The problem is, I've got so many lures that uh, it might take up a lot of shows. So I'm just. Kidding. And what's wrong with that? <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're, I believe I heard you mention something about um, you had a, a, a record player that was actually a call. I mean, and how they've yes. evolved to yeah. the calls that we have today, yes. and it really goes back to a yeah. record player. I've, got, I've got little records that have like you know hog calls or you know whatever and yeah you just fox call and you just put the little record on and it's got a little speaker uh -huh. you know with 50 feet of of cord and you just, just put it out <laughs> there a little of that yeah, and a little battery powered noise to it but that, that's probably awesome yeah a little battery powered uh, uh record player that you know yeah just it's a, it's an old call yeah. And I just, I found it at an antique shop, and I'm like, well, that is cool. Yeah, and now they've evolved all the way to where 
you know, we got it on our phone and we can Bluetooth it over to another exactly. speaker yeah. and hear all this way that it's happening. Yep, you know? yep, yep. And then we've In got, our lifetime. And then we've got uh, Gary Robertson's new call that mm -hmm. is the ultrasonic call that blows away all the rest of the electronic calls. Oh. I mean, to where it, it actually records and broadcasts to the proper amount of hertz that it, that an animal does. All electronic calls outside of the the calls is the freak F R E F R E Q. Coyotes can hear about sound is measured in hertz. We can hear a child can hear about twenty to about twenty two to twenty five thousand hertz. I can probably hear about sixteen thousand hertz now, uh -huh. uh, but the average human can hear to a little over twenty, and uh, coyotes can hear up to forty five thousand hertz. Bobcats can hear to over sixty-five thousand hertz. Squeaking mice will go up to a measure of about sixty-five, sixty-seven hertz. Okay. Thousand hertz. Uh -huh. There's no electronic call of any kind, nor will there be one for any length of time because of the patented the patented process. This records up to about forty-five to fifty thousand hertz and it broadcasts 45 to 50,000 hertz. Wow. Okay. So we've taken this call in a lot of places where we go, well, we've called coyotes, so they don't come. You can take that call in there and you get covered up with coyotes from Bobcats because now it actually is producing the same sound that that animal makes that they can actually hear up to. So, wow. So, I mean, that's that's the next generation and it, it'll be probably 10, 15 years before they can figure out how to. Uh, go around what Gary's patent is, kind it's of a thing. long so. way from a record. Oh yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, absolutely. Well, technology in, in general. I mean, remember the old string timers that you'd put across two trees, oh, and yeah. a oh, deer yeah. would walk, break the yeah. thread, and oh, I know exactly what time. You know, they, yeah. and of course, you don't know if it's a deer. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but you remember those? I do remember those. Oh yeah. And today the trail cam is is just prevalent, and of course the trail cams today now they take videos. They, oh, I mean, they yeah. do all Trans sorts send of things. Send it to your phone. Send it to your phone. phone. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So technology is really yeah we're, we're lucky wait. to live in this lifetime absolutely yeah, definitely yeah those old those string timer things uh -huh. old judd cooney who used to the old game warden writer photographer storyteller extraordinaire uh judd did a lot of bear baiting when you could do it legally in colorado and lots of did commercial bear hunts and i remember the first of those and they yeah. and they go oh my god the bear came through here at 345 this afternoon uh -huh. you know? uh -huh. and uh so it, 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 could, it could have now, been here. Who knows? But it, yeah. and now you know it's, we're to the point to where you can actually see everything that's going on if yeah. that's what you want to do in real well, time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I still have like I had the old string timer. I think I still have that. You know, stuff like that. Oh, I, man. I still have. I believe I still have my original trail cam that had thirty-five millimeter film in it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, yeah. you, you look back at those things, and someday, you know, maybe thirty years down the road from today. People be going. You really did that. You yeah, really right. had that. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Here it is. Those right old thirty-five. A company out of Louisiana. I don't even remember the name. Sent me one way back there. Yeah. Thirty-five film. You know, mm -hmm. you loaded. I honestly, I mean, I never could get it to work right. You right. know, back in the day. You know, but now it's so nice. Yeah, they'll kind of ruin you. I mean, yeah. I you know, I hunt hogs right by the house. Kenneth's got them out his back door. You got, but I, I put a, a trail camera on a feeder and. I don't see a lot of activity. I mean, I, yeah. I got to. I'm ruined to the point. I won't even go. I wait till wait till it looks good. And <laughs> if they weren't there the last five days, the odds of them being at that feeder mm -hmm. when I, you know. You know, what I find interesting is, is and, and Larry, I've heard this out of you a couple times where, you know, 
used trail cams are great, but sometimes yeah. the element of surprise, not knowing what's there, right. you know, uh, especially deer hunting and stuff. Yeah, it's nice to see some deer on on a trail cam and that kind of thing, but sometimes it's nice to all of a sudden there's something you're like, whoa, you had no well, that idea. Happens anyway, a lot of times. Yeah. It does. I get so tickled when people tell me, man, we got every deer on our place on trail camera. Well, I can tell you a time when trail cameras really first got developed where we could do anything when we had a 20 acre trap, uh, 10 acres woods, 10 acres open, one water source, one supplemental feed source, put cameras on there, and I knew how many deer were in there because we put them in there for that research purpose. There were 20 bucks in there. And from the time that they started developing antlers till the time they dropped antlers, you want to guess how many of those 20 bucks we had got on camera during that time frame? Less than half? 12. Hmm? There wow. were 12. So when somebody tells me, and that was a very controlled, confined situation. If you think yeah. you're going to get every cam, you know, every deer on camera, of course, that's, we didn't have the video that they do now. Yep. But still, the, whatever reason, some deer, I think, just have there's something there that they're picking up on. Or they run in, the, the camera goes off, and they run and grab some water. Or they don't use the supplemental feed, or they don't do the, yep. you know, use that water source. Maybe there's a, they're getting it up off cactus in our part of the world. Yeah. So, but yeah, I love being surprised. I, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I use them occasionally if I'm going to put somebody else in a blind so that I can say, okay, if this deer comes in, leave him alone because he's a two-year-old or he's one that we're wanting to save. Exactly. You know, but anything else is, is legal game. But uh, yeah, I, I like being out there and not knowing for sure. You know, looking at the tracks, looking at the scrapes, the rubs, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and and trying to figure out what might be there, as opposed to yeah. here comes Charlie or here comes Joe or Sam yep. or Jack or you know, yeah. number twenty two, yeah, number twenty two kind of thing. So, I, I like that little bit. Of, I like that element of surprise still yeah. there. Yeah, me too. I uh, I tell you, one of the early on as an outdoor writer, that's something that I learned. I you know. 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I'd get, you know, invited to come here. And I, and I, I actually went for it till I learned better. This was back in the day. Somebody said, you know, now there's, it's when bucks were uh, targeted, target this buck. Yep. Now, Luke, there's a uh, five and a half year old. Uh, he's, he's three points on the right. He's got a little bitty kicker on the G2, you know. Describe a buck to me, right. I, and I was bow hunting back then mostly, where I was close. You know, I mean, I was looking at a deer 20 yards away, bow hunting. One deer, <laughs> we want you to take this deer. That, there has never been, and, and actually, I, I, did, I used to try to do that, and then I quit. Because that is way too much pressure on somebody, unless you've actually seen that deer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, to, to, to me, though, I, I used to love hunting targeted bucks not before trail cameras. Yeah. But I, but I had the time to hunt, and I'd pick out one buck on a on a property. Yeah. That we had seen, you know, or back then I did helicopter surveys, and we'd see a buck out of the helicopter, and it'd be an old mature eight point, or he had a screwed up antler on yeah, the side, right. and then to target. go in and target and hunt that one deer and pass up a lot yeah. of others. And you learn a lot doing it that oh, way. Yeah. You really do. And, and, and probably 75% of the time, you don't kill the deer that you're after. Mm -hmm. you know, you, but in the process, too, I remember doing that several times where I was after one buck, passing up bucks that I look back now and I go, 
you were an idiot because he did some mature deer. He was as good as what he was probably going to get. You know, I should have just gone ahead and shot him and said, the heck with that, you know, that eight point with a crab claw or whatever right, kind right, of thing. Right. But You've it was that challenge sure. of yeah. trying to go after that one deer kind yeah, of thing. So. That's for sure. But you, but you wouldn't have learned all no, the no, things no, that you no, learned. No, 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 no. Not there for that process. Exactly. To me, that it was learning that was every bit as important as, as you know, Yep. And, and like you the said, nowadays, thing. honestly, what I like to, to target, uh, when I'm going to a ranch to hunt for an article or whatever, I'll tell, I, do you have a 24-inch main bean fork horn? Yeah. I'll say, just joking in a way, yeah. but I'm mm -hmm. talking about if he's got some age on him, a spike on one side, an 8-inch spike, and a big rack, I don't, you know, that's the kind of deer, honestly, I like freaky look yeah yeah like that you've yeah. seen that we've seen close to sure. our our house together sure. you know I, it seems like the last 10 years i've been hung up on these big bucks and yeah and you'll you'll waste the whole season <laughs> and, and end up with a free an empty freezer well oh, you know at yeah. the bottom well, of you've killed some, done that many times <laughs> you've well, killed some big i've, some killed, big I've been deer. lucky i have you, you, you're you're at a you know right there on that slough is a, is where you're at is there's some big deer coming there is but you're always wanting that bigger one and you'll end up <laughs> yeah you'll end up with an empty freezer uh, <laughs> that's what happens yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then your buddies are saying, oh, we're having backstrap tonight. And you're like, man, I wish I had some <laughs> I'm eating crow, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, uh, well, we better close this thing down. But before we do, I want to tell everybody that's listening, thank you for being with us. But particularly you three guys for being with me this morning. I'm looking forward to the next opportunity. And if you just happen to hear this before June the 4th, I want to remind everybody that our DSC Foundation Gala for 2022 is on June the 4th. You can go to our website dscf.org or go to the B-I-G-G-A-M-E dot O-R-G DSC website and uh, it's too late probably at this point to buy any tickets. We had a limited number of tables available. We're sold out but we've got some of the most fantastic auction items that you can come up with anywhere in the world that are available to you all you got to do is to go to that website dscf.org and it'll put you onto another page where you can register to to uh, bid on those items and all the money that comes in goes right back out to dsc's primary uh, goals and missions of conservation education and to and hunter advocacy as well too so it's not going in anybody's pocket it's going to go out to do some really good things in the future and, and again uh, if you can't be there and hopefully you've already bought tickets you're going to be there but if you can't be there you can still bid on those items and even if you don't get the item at least go over and do a few biddings for us thank y'all and we look forward to seeing y'all right back here next week thanks for joining us around the campfire to leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode go to instagram at larry wysoon outdoors Please join me right here next week for another DSC's Campfires. DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by The Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, H3 Whitetail Solutions, Remington, Texas Wildlife Association, TRHP Outdoors, 